I'm Katherine Yazzie, and you're listening to It's Okay to Love Yourself, a podcast that exists to give you a permission slip to love and accept yourself exactly as you are. Through casual conversations, we'll learn from those on their own journeys to loving themselves and uncover the impact it's had on their lives. We'll also examine the systems such as diet culture that exists to keep us stuck in self-loathing. So come on, we're all on this journey together. Let's dive in. Hi, Amelia. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. It's so great to finally meet over a Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me. I'm so pumped. Yeah. Um, For those who are listening who don't, who may not know Amelia, I'd love to have you just take a few minutes and introduce yourself. Um, Yeah, let's let's hear a little bit about you and your background. Cool. Can do. Um, So I'm Amelia Kruby. I am a feminist writer, educator, and podcaster living in Chicago. I have a PhD in philosophy, and I wrote a dissertation on feminist aesthetics and really kind of the question of what that would be and whether whether it could exist in philosophy specifically. Mm. (laughs) Um, So I wrote a super heady dissertation that I defended in June to get my PhD, and Now I am working for a very cool company called Sister that runs a program called Feminist Business School. And outside that, I host courses around selfies and self-love through Instagram. And I'm just about to put out my first book called 50 Feminist Mantras. So exciting. So exciting. I know sometime, I think in June, I started following you on Instagram and I totally forget even how I came across your account, but I remember just being, um, so I just felt like everything you were posting, I was like, yes, like I just related to so much of it. And it was so awesome to, uh, start to read all your content. And I know, um, I participated in the July edition of selfies for self-love, which is a little program you ran. Mm -hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you had the idea for that program and and what that's all about? Yeah, yeah, gladly. I'm I am so happy that you were a part of uh, the like inaugural very first <laughs> one of those I did. Um, so I started, I guess to explain the program, maybe I'll back into it by explaining yeah. how like my relationship to selfies really began, um, which is kind of a, a long story. I'll story I'll summarize briefly. Um, I started taking selfies, I think in middle school with uh, disposable cameras. I would take selfies and I would get them printed out at like a CVS or a drugstore. <laughs> and I would put them in photo albums. And if you dig into my parents' basement, there are photo albums of selfies that I have had developed <laughs> on film, like through the film process. <laughs> um, and I think in the past few years, I really just got fascinated with uncovering why I took those selfies so early on. That process shifted as I moved into high school. I got a digital camera I'd take selfies on, then I got an iPhone that could take photos and um, started sharing different kinds of selfies. And last year, I wrote an essay that I called Born to Selfie, which (laughs) traced the kind of evolution of my self-image through the selfies I had taken. Mm -hmm. And... I realized in writing that how wrapped up my sense of self was in these selfies and how I would construct my visual image for myself and then share that with other people. So I really dug back into the like, 
what I would now call like thirst trap selfies of my <laughs> college days. That language did not exist then. Um, or like there were definitely some where I was just really seeking out male attention. And I started to see through like my new lens of like feminist theory and aesthetics, like, oh, this selfie is really like pandering to the male gaze in a huge way. Or oh, this selfie is really cool. I was, I did not care what anybody thought about me and I was just enjoying taking pictures here. And once I started to do that self-work, I look back at my own personal history with selfies, I realized that how much my relationship with myself had changed and how big a part selfies had, how big selfies had been a part of that. So mm-hmm. that led into me this February on Instagram doing a whole month of content around selfies for self-love. It was just like a whole three- experience. I'm not even quite sure what I would call it. I was sharing posts. I was doing IGTVs. I had questions. I just had people set, like posting selfies and tagging me so I could share them. And I called that selfies for self-love. I want to be like totally transparent. That I did not invent that mm-hmm. name. Um, there is an existing hashtag and somebody ran uh, an Instagram account called that for a number of years. That's no longer active, but I felt like that hashtag really just summed up what I was trying to understand, which is how selfies were a part of my self-love practice. And so in that free month in February, I started connecting selfies and self-love for myself and other people. And everyone was super into it. And when we got to summer, which is such a time of like (laughs) sweat and skin and weird body feelings, um, I was just like, I, I need to take a lot more selfies this summer to feel good about my like quarantine bod going out in the sun with a mask on. (laughs) And and then I was like, I bet a lot of other people need this too. And so I I really wanted to make it a group experience. And I started these selfies for self-love practice groups just to bring together small groups of people who wanted to reshape their self image in a more loving way through Mm -hmm. The self taking and sharing selfies with a small group off Instagram. So like yep. a, a space that was really carefully constructed. So we would be able to share freely and learn to speak to each other maybe differently than we normally talk about selfies. Yep. I love that when you first started it, it was February. So before the pandemic and everything, because I feel as though the pandemic has really just brought a lot of, um, people and I think especially women's body image and thoughts Mm -hmm. around how they're taking care of themselves. We're not moving as much. We're home more. We're not going out. My friend and I were talking last night, like what was life before? Like going out to be seen and, you know, doing all these things. And when you kind of eliminate all of that, all of that, it's, you have to really fill up your own cup with that self-love and the validation. You have to learn how to give it to yourself. Um, So I think it's really interesting that you started it in February and everyone obviously was super into it. And then just how much more, uh, just, just a greater emphasis on that. And I think for me wanting to join, I, I, I think during this entire year has been quite a up and down experience of, mm-hmm. um, really, I think I've, I've made a ton of progress, but I know at the beginning of quarantine, I was having those thoughts of like, oh man, like this is going to be different. Like, how am I going to, you know, am I going to go walk every day? And like, just, it's just, yeah, it was really such a helpful thing to be in a community with people who are very like-minded and supportive. And the the photos are really, I think there really is such a big tie there. So it was cool to see that for myself just over the four weeks of 
taking pictures and just how much more comfortable I got seeing myself and my full body in pictures. That was something that I've struggled with for a while. So yeah, I just want to say thank you because it was really amazing <laughs> to just see you just in a month. It went by so fast. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was awesome to learn. And yeah, the off Instagram experience of having that time to let it settle in and meet new people. And also, I think just realize everyone is going through something like this. I think it's so much more mm -hmm. common and it's, it's why I love doing this podcast and talking to people because I think we don't, as humans always talk about self-love and popular culture, but it's something that I think all of us need. And, yeah. and it's been, it's been great just to hear people resonate with it. Yeah. Well, I am so glad you had such a great experience. It was such a joy to have you in the group and, you know, I, there are so many threads of what you said that I just wanted to like keep touching on. I thought what you said about um, how quarantine has reshaped self-love is really interesting mm. because I think you're right. It, when we're not interacting with other people, we turn to the internet for validation Mm -hmm. and we've been doing that for a long time like the whole point of Instagram right people yeah. share selfies on Instagram to get validated yeah and I'm not hating on that like I, I that's fine with me like I do yeah. that too like yeah I think that as long as you know you're doing that and you're like watching how it's sh shaping your self-image like yeah. go for it <laughs> um but I think that there has been like a real struggle with if we're not interacting with people in person and getting that validation which comes in many forms right like it comes yeah. in a friend telling you you look great it comes in someone you care for giving you a hug in less positive senses it might come from like catcalling or more really like there can be negative validation or other issues. Yeah. But when we're in our homes, many of us by ourselves, you're right. We have to figure out how to give ourselves that. And that requires a totally new set of practices. One that's can be hard to access in another, in a moment when, as I know you saw, like all of us did, like in April and May, people are posting about the quarantine 15 yeah. and it becomes this, that online space also became, in my view, like a pretty fat phobic infused yep. with diet culture space and so for me selfies play into that immediately because selfies are one of the primary ways that I've dealt with a significant weight gain in my life once I stopped dieting and they honestly were a lifeline in yeah. reshaping my self-image in learning to see myself in not just a neutral way but a loving way and mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I just need them. I, I say that's in the on Instagram and in the group, but like, I think selfies can change the world, and they have changed my life. So yeah, <laughs> as much as people think they're this like maybe superfluous or narcissistic practice, I think they're like a deeply, um, deeply important part of my lived experience and reclaiming my personal power over mm -hmm. how I see see and share myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that because I think you can, selfies exist everywhere now, right? It's like mm -hmm. Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, yeah. like there's all the social media world, but then texting and, and just how we're, yeah, how we're creating our image. I think that was the thing that I took away the most and was uh, amazing food for thought of that. Like, how are you constructing yourself in this image? And what are you thinking about when you're doing that? And yeah. learning about these different lenses and frameworks that you can um, kind of analyze like 
old pictures of yourself or when you're thinking yeah. in the moment, it, it brings that um, intentionality and I think mindfulness around selfies, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool and totally allows us to reclaim them rather than just using them as, as that way to just get quick validation or attention from yeah, people. Exactly. Because those moments of like seeking quick validation or attention, um, which like, again, it's not that I'm critiquing that. It's just that often when that's what you want, it means that you're reproducing something that yeah. you've already seen because you saw other people like it. So yep. if you're kind of just in that mode of like, oh, I need like a quick hit of this <laughs> like boost from these little hearts on my phone. <laughs> we all do. Um, but when you're in that, you're most likely reproducing some type of like pretty or sexy, or I'm putting those in air quotes, like images that you've seen before. Yep. And that can be really hard harmful to your self-image to try to fit yourself into these like constructed narratives all of which are photoshopped none of which are like (laughs) bodies as they exist in the world so I think that it's just I think selfies are such a like another ethos through all of my work is I love like DIY media Mm -hmm. to me selfies are DIY portraits and Mm. they really like and of course, self-portraits are also DIY portraits, but selfies have even lower stakes than that. And I think that's super important. Like so much of DIY culture comes out of, as like a counterculture to a norm, right? So like zines are a way of taking the written word or like n- news into your own um, perspective and presenting something that's counter to maybe what large newspapers or journalistic platforms or publishing platforms are doing. Um, podcasts like this are a way yep. of taking radio into our own hands. And as a podcaster, I love I love the DIYness. I love that you can start a podcast with pretty minimal setup. And mm-hmm. I think selfies are like that too. Selfies are a way of taking our self image and how we share ourselves into our own hands, and not needing that to be passed through all of the super problematic narratives in our culture that are fat phobic racist, sexist, transphobic, homophobic, we can really, it's not that we can strictly bypass them. They're always there, but we can resist them in a different way when we're taking our own image and sharing it Mm -hmm. on our own terms. So Mm -hmm. love it. And I want to circle back to what you were saying around how we saw, you know, Instagram kind of turn into this quarantine 15. I think I have had to mute or unfollow so many meme accounts because the more I've become aware of just how pervasive diet culture is, it's seeing those as passed off as jokes just is not funny to me anymore. And it's having it in your face all the time. Like, I think that the last few months, especially I'm like, Oh my God, like it's, we get like the joke is not funny. It's, it's just like a cheap joke that I don't know. It just has totally changed my, um, how I interact with that. Whereas before I think I would have mindlessly scrolled and wouldn't have bothered me. Mm -hmm. It would have just, been quote unquote normal. Um, yeah. And I think before we uh, started recording, we talked about diet culture and kind of self-love. And I'd love to, I'd love to have you speak to how your relationship with diet culture has impacted your relationship with self-love over the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. Gladly. I'm with you on unfollowing <laughs> these <Yeah>. accounts. <laughs> um, I, I think when people are going on their own journey of self-love or size acceptance of any kind, like 
really weeding out all of those sorts of narratives becomes super important. And that can be just through who you're following on social media. Sometimes it involves people in your life. It it can be very challenging, but yeah, I've definitely been there. So in terms of my self-love journey and diet culture, um, I'm not totally sure with your audience, is everyone familiar? Will everyone be familiar with diet culture? Should I maybe, should I define it or people know what it is? I'd actually love to have you define it because I think I've mentioned it, but I don't know if I've gone so deep on it quite yet. Totally. Yeah. So I'm not an expert on this, but I can share kind of what I've gleaned from reading and living through it. So yeah. um, diet culture, when I use that phrase, what I mean by it is just this belief system that emphasizes frankly, like thinness and mm-hmm. certain body types over any other metrics of well-being or health. Um, it's a belief system that says that thinness equates health, even though there are endless scientific studies that tell us that that is not at all true. And as a result, what diet culture does is becomes this like pervasive way in which people regulate and themselves mm-hmm. uh, by dieting. I think that's why it's called diet culture. Like diet culture teaches us that being thin is the most important thing and we should be constructing our lives such that we will be thin. It also tells us that if we are not thin, then we are bad, mm-hmm. something morally wrong. And so diet culture pervades our health system. It pervades our media. It is, um, it's in our interpersonal relationships. It's in ourselves for many of us who um, are fat. I'm a small fat person. Diet culture is mm-hmm. deeply ingrained in me. I was not always a small fat person because I spent 20 years of my life dieting. Maybe not quite. You can never, yeah, uh, 15. <laughs> Still a very long time. <laughs> yeah, many of them. Um, so if people are tuning in and just like not totally familiar with that phrase, that's what it, that's what it means to me. And so that ties in next because as I was telling you before we logged on, where on September 20th, we will hit my two-year anniversary of breaking up with diet culture, mm-hmm. which I celebrate like a birthday every year. It <laughs> felt like a rebirth. Um, and so for me, what that meant, um, kind of all, what got me to that moment, and I'm just going to give a brief content warning for people. There's going to be some talk about like dieting and exercising and binging if they need to skip Mm -hmm. a minute ahead. It won't be long. Um, But basically about two years ago, I had was in a place where I wasn't really working. I was between projects. I was staying at my parents' house and I had gained weight and I was feeling pretty low about myself. And the only way I knew how to feel better about myself was to go on a diet and to start exercise binging and try to lose weight. So I would at least be thin again and I could feel better about myself. And I went through a couple weeks of really restricted eating. I was exercising multiple times a day. I injured my knee and my neck during that period. Um, And I woke up one morning and literally I woke up on September 20th and I was like, I I can't do this anymore. I cannot (laughs) hate myself like this anymore. Yeah. And... I was so defeated, but that moment something clicked and it just became really clear that either I was going to keep hating myself for a really long time and trying to cope with these destructive and harmful behaviors, 
which by which I mean dieting and exercising. Yeah. <laughs> Most people don't think of those as destructful, harmful behaviors, but I do. Right. Um, and I stopped. I literally got up that morning. I took a shower. I put on two of my favorite articles of clothing, both of which, one of which I had made with my aunt and one of which a friend had made for me. So things that just felt like, like, like a big hug. And I went outside my parents' house and stood outside their garage and took a selfie photo shoot. (laughs) I did. Literally my car, my phone was propped up on top of my car. I was like standing outside because it was the only white backdrop I could find. And I took all these pictures of myself and I just decided I was done. And I posted one on Instagram. And in that caption, I just talked about how I had been in a bad place and been going through a lot of body hatred and self-loathing. And I quit and I broke up with diet culture. And I remember that day when I posted it, about, like so many people were super excited for me in that breakthrough I remember a very well-meaning friend saying that she'd been there many times and always backslid and like kind of anticipating that I would. And I remember in that moment, not being frustrated with her, but just being like, I'm not going to do that. I am like done. I am pushing through. This is the end for me. And I have not been on a diet in two years. I have not sub foot in a gym in two years. Um, And I feel great. (laughs) I mean, I have, I have gained weight. I have new stretch marks on my stomach in the past two weeks. I have had people call me fat and like as a slur on the internet. Mm-hmm. I've had doctors uh, that I went to see one time to get a mole checked out tell me that the problem was my weight. I have <laughs> like really moved to the other side of all of the bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> but, but frankly, what feels good is that I'm not doing it to myself anymore. Um, It was so internalized and it was such self-loathing and I feel more capable to handle some of the fat phobic behavior I encounter in our society. Yeah. I feel like I can live through that. I didn't think I could survive hating myself anymore. Yeah. So that, (laughs) that's my breakup (laughs) with diet culture. Um, And, you know, self-love took time. Those didn't happen at the same time. I did not wake up one morning hating myself. And then be like, oh, I broke up with diet culture, so I love myself. I think two years later, I'm just now getting to the point where I'm feeling that sense of self-love. And I know you saw, I just shared this on Instagram last week, that I had written, I revisited an essay I wrote three years ago um, called something like, um, I don't, thoughts on not, in parentheses, being fat, where I kind of talked about my weight and feeling a lot of neutrality, feeling like I couldn't hate or love myself. Mm -hmm. And I've come so far since then. Um, It really has been two years of turning from that moment of neutrality to one of love. And yeah, yeah, it's been a big shift. There's a lot lot of internal work, but so much goodness. Yeah. I love, I love just the waking up and just knowing like, this is the day it's, it's over. Like it's over and you're at peace with it and you know, you're never going to go back. And I think we all have those moments where it's just so, it just, everything in our body is just telling us like, we cannot <laughs> go yeah. that route anymore. Um, yeah. And I feel like I had that similar moment of, I, this is exhausting because it's so exhausting just trying to control everything around you yeah. and um, that cycle. And once I think you become aware that, Hey, this is a cycle that I keep repeating and 
-hmm. it never turns out good. Um, yeah, I think that that, I totally relate to that. And, um, as well as I loved when, what you shared in the essay that you wrote a couple of years ago about the part about logically knowing you would never like talk about this or share this because you know that it's a harmful <laughs> belief yeah. in that it's, you logically know the point you want to get to, but you don't feel it in the moment. And I think that has also been my own path um, for the past three years of feeling like having that moment of, okay, this isn't working. I need to find a new way. And I know that I should <laughs> mm -hmm. feel really good about myself because I know that logically my worth is just inherent within me. And, and, mm -hmm. but it, it does take time. And I think for me, I don't know if you, um, if you've had a similar experience, but I think for me, what I've, especially in the last year have really tried to focus on is becoming aware of like when I'm seeking that external like love outside of myself and then being able to pull it back in and say, okay, that that's great if I get it or if I don't, but I still can come back to myself and know that I'm building that foundation of love for me so yeah. that anything else is, is, doesn't impact me and doesn't take me on those like up and down yeah. emotional like swings of, of worthiness. It's just trying to be more steady about it, but it's, yeah. it doesn't happen overnight because we're so conditioned to just seek everything outside of ourselves, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it takes practice. Like, yeah. and I think that's why I talk about selfies as a practice. And that's why I talk about self-love as a practice because yeah. Um, of course there's a way in which it's like a mindset or there's a way you can know certain things, but, but you have to practice them. And I also am a really big believer of like, uh, for, for me, um, as an academic, I will logically know things first a lot of the time. And then the work I always have to do is I have to figure out what are the practices and like the embodiment practices it's going to take for me to get that knowledge into my body mm -hmm. which to me is where like the deeper sense of knowing happens like it was my body that woke up on September 20th and knew that it was done and knew yeah. that it wasn't going to survive this like roller coaster of self-hatred anymore and um like that that sort of knowing that I think came from my body and mm. my mind knew that years before, right? I had written <laughs> that essay. I knew like what the problems were, you know, I read yeah. Virgie Tovar's You Have the Right to Remain Fat, which is like a Bible to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I knew all of that, but it took time to get it in my body. And that's really what the past few years have been for me. Like that's one of the ways I find selfies really helpful. Um, but also, you know, I've done things like meditation or I did yoga for a period of time. And that was really, really helpful for me. Even things like going on walks, like there, yeah. everyone has their different set of embodiment practices, but I think it's definitely like part of the practice is that it's not just, you have to do like the learning and the knowledge and read the things and yep. hear from the people who help you understand, but you have to figure out how to get your body to know it, to know it too. And I, love what you said about, you know, thinking about where you're seeking self-love, whether it's, you know, and how you have to have that foundation for yourself, because if you, it is reliant on other people, you don't want your self-love to be on their timeline or their journey. Yeah. <laughs> you want it to be on yours. Yep. Um, but I also think too, part of what made the selfies for self-love practice group so powerful is 
um, it's not just on you. Like you have to do it for yourself, but you can, you can get help if you're careful about kind of where you go to and, and yeah. who, whose voices you're letting be a part of that journey. Like you, I, so you have to, uh, select carefully. You don't want to like breathe like a, a codependent kind of self-love, right. <laughs> but, um, but for anyone listening who's like, oh, I know I have to do it, but I don't know how I get super overwhelmed when it's just me and it's all on me and it's my fault and it's my job. Like we can release that pressure too. Like there, there are ways to invite other people into your self-love practice. And I always say like my partner has been a huge part of mine. Um, Virgie Tova writes about this too. Like if you, particularly if you're a woman seeking relationships with men, that is an incredibly harmful, it can be an incredibly mm. harmful space, um, full of fat phobic behaviors and internalized misogyny. And um, it, it's not lost on me that my self-love journey started going a lot faster once I was in a really healthy partnership mm-hmm. with um, someone who was incredibly body positive and feminist. And so... I think that's there, there too. It's like finding your, I want to say allies, but I don't really love that word. It's like co-conspirators or something like that. Yeah. I call it like my support team. Like I have all these people around me who I know are people who are there to, to lift me up and, and to remind me of that. Yeah. It's me. It's not, it's not them. It's, it's me. And I think that is so powerful. And I think just going back to what you said about people listening who may be, again, kind of maybe in their mind waking up to this and, and want to feel differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just going back to what you're saying around, it's a practice. Like there's no quick fix. You're not just going to wake up one day and yeah. completely leave behind these patterns and, and behaviors that are so unconscious and ingrained in us for so long, but that like with the right people around you, you can seek out. And then I think that's mm-hmm. why the internet. And I, I know in the first episode of, of this podcast, I talked about being in college and having Tumblr and finding like body positive blogs and spaces and being like, holy shit, you know, like going from yeah. being one of the only, um, you know, like fat people in my school to like seeing people who looked like me living full, amazing, happy lives. Like that yeah. totally changed my life. Um, yeah. And I think that's what's so amazing about technology we have now is that we can meet people in different cities and and expand our viewpoints and instead of just having to look around us um we can really we can meet and build community with people who are everywhere and I think that's so powerful and helpful yeah oh so much I always remember um I interviewed Amy Pence Brown for my for my podcast 50 Mm -hmm. Feminist States and she told this story about being, I'm going to get it right. She basically talked about how like a decade ago, maybe even more than that, she realized that she was the only fat person she knew who was happy Mm. and she didn't see any examples. And she's like, she said, she just started Googling, like, why am I fat and happy? Like what can fat people be happy? Like, Um, and realized just like, and that kind of led to, as she told the story, this like moment of awakening for her around just like, she could. And, yeah. and at the same time, if she was going to have a community around that, she was going to have to create it. And she's built this 
beautiful fat feminist body positive radical community out where she lives in um, Idaho around this and she runs these super cool things called rad camps that are all about loving bodies and you know um, so I'm really cool performance art and other things but I always think about her um, and telling that story and just like how ingrained diet culture is that like fat people don't even realize they can be happy yeah like with their our bodies <laughs> and yeah um, yeah and I love that and yes tumblr all the way 100% I miss yeah. you, the old internet <laughs> <laughs> I know it feels it feels literally like a lifetime ago at this point but <laughs> yeah I still have my tumblr but I'm, yeah. it, it's not the same yeah <laughs> Um, I think of probably a good segue, like, again, just on the theme of practice and like building, um, building your own practice too. Cause I think all of us prefer doing things that make us feel good. And there's no, um, you know, I don't think that there's any, like, I come from, I used to work in tech and, you know, I come from like having roadmaps and plans and like, there's no way to, to like create something that you can just follow. Like you have to kind of experiment. Um, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear about um, your book, and I know that there's a story behind it around what you started doing and sharing with people and how it turned into this incredible book that is going to be released, I think, in the fall. Is that October, correct? October 6th. Yeah. Oh my God. I know. It'll be here so soon. Yes, yeah. I would love to talk about my book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for asking. I... Uh, so yes, my book, 50 Feminist Mantras, will be out on October 6th. It's being published by Andrews McNeil, who publishes Rupi Carr and some of Alex L's journals. Also, um, the books by the We Rate Dogs person on Twitter, as well as Calvin and Hobbes. They've got <laughs> an eclectic group of things. Amazing. Um, and I am so happy to be part of that family. Um, so I started, 50 Feminist Mantras was built out of kind of a hashtag thing I was doing on Instagram yeah. that I called Feminist Mantra Monday that I started in on Halloween of 2016. And I, if we can even think back to those <laughs> golden days when we all thought Hillary was going to win the election. I know. Um, it's really <laughs> hard to imagine at this point. Like it, it's yeah. hard for me to access those feelings, but I started Feminist Mantra Monday because I was frustrated by the sort of white liberal feminism that I saw both in Hillary's campaign, but also in a lot of her supporters, Mm -hmm. like a refusal to reckon with um, a lot of harm that the Clintons broadly and Hillary herself had, had done to Mm -hmm. lots of marginalized communities in the U S and well, I voted for Hillary and was obviously would have rather had her in the office than our current president. Um, I wanted to just like open up more feminist discourse in my community. I wanted more people to be able to see like, hey, do you like get yeah. to be a feminist and get to be integral to passing one of the hardest on crime bills in U.S. history? Like, okay, if you do, how, do, how are we going to deal with like these contradictions? Basically, I started Feminist Mantra Monday to try to talk more about feminism and help people develop resources to see those contradictions, even if we hadn't gotten to addressing or reconciling them yet. Mm. Um, so 
that was the educator side of me, that kind of this like political education motivation. And then the like soft, uh, gentle kind of self-help nature of my voice and being on my a personal journey and wanting other people to be like, see it as a personal journey and as a moment of consciousness raising, like in a deeply community-based way. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that mantras would be a great way to do that, right? I wasn't just writing like political articles. I was just like, okay, when I want to change my thought pattern or my behavior, what do I do? And mantras and affirmations are a really powerful way to do that. So I started writing mantras. I wrote one every Monday on Instagram and my blog that I had at the time for a year. Obviously, about three weeks after I started the mantras, Trump was elected. They shifted from being like, I'm going to teach you something to like, let's get through this together. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Feminism became, instead of like, as over the past four years, feminism's gone from being like a kind of radical position to more of like a popular norm at least in certain communities, obviously not everywhere. Um, So I was writing these mantras. I shared them for a year. I put them in a book and self-published them that I called 50 Feminist Mantras. And that was wonderful. Um, And then it went out of print, basically. I just didn't print anymore. And last summer, I heard from an editor, Andrews McNeil, who asked if I'd be interested in releasing the book with them and doing a totally new version of it. And I was. And That's amazing. Um, and I did. So that, that's like kind of just the book story. But feminist mantras are really important to me because, you know, feminism, it was integral to my self-love journey. It was how I was able to see and name the self-loathing that diet culture ingrained in me. Feminism is the only way I can understand my own worth and mm-hmm. value in our society. And so it was a, it was like a lifeline. It was, li- it was a raft that got me through the ocean of <laughs> patriarchy and white supremacy and capitalism that we live in. Um, feminism is not without its own major issues, but I think that what I'm trying to do in 50 Feminist Mantras is share some of the feminist values that I've learned from reading feminist texts from all over the world during my PhD program and studying them and hearing from their authors and kind of taking those values and putting them in a form of a mantra. So things like grow slow is one of my popular mantras. Um, And that's all about resisting the linear progress narratives of capitalism, Mm -hmm. right? So (laughs) grow slow seems like a really simple phrase, but in the book, I help unpack like, what are, what are we doing when we grow slowly? What are we interrupting? And what are we reinventing for ourselves if we let ourselves slow down? What are we taking back? Um, Mm -hmm. And so the book will have a mantra like grow slow and then some writing for me unpacking that and then journaling prompts. So there are questions and lines to write in. A number of the mantras have little activities and tables and things to go through. If you do, the book is kind of intended to be done over the course of a year. So it's organized seasonally. um, And and the idea is that you do one mantra a week and kind of sit with that, let it permeate your life a little bit, spend your time on the reflection prompts. And then over the course of the year, you really developed like a, you've started to shift your value system. Mm-hmm. And I think that's slow work. Um, something that's been interesting with some of the early reviews of the book is like people got the book and tried to read the whole thing in one go. And it's definitely not designed <laughs> to do that. It's not even a book you read. It's a, it's a workbook. It's a book you yeah. do. 
Um, but, and some of it's repetitive. If you do the book over the course of the year, you'll realize there are like three different exercises that ask you to think about who's in your community and how you care for them. Mm-hmm. That's on purpose. It wasn't like I didn't realize that we did it multiple <laughs> times. It's meant to help you build habits. Like you don't change value systems are deeply ingrained in us. Mm-hmm. Anyone reading this book has probably had decades of our popular ideology being like shoved into their body, <laughs> whether right. like in their like crafting their belief system. So over the course of a year, I'm just trying to like, give people exercises to undo some of that and to question it from a feminist perspective. And sometimes that's very overtly feminist. And I talk about gender and I talk about sexuality. And sometimes it's really about resisting capitalism or resisting white supremacy or resisting different narratives in our society. Cause I think all of that is a part of feminism in my mind. It's really all about resisting. It's having a gendered analysis to how we resist oppression. Mm-hmm. And so I think all of those are modes of oppression that we have to talk about. So that's the book, yeah. <laughs> my long form explanation. <laughs> um, but it, I, I really love it. And I hope that anyone listening will check it out and get a copy. You can download um, the first, the introduction and the first two mantras for free on my website. If you're not sure if it's for you, um, I'm sure we can link that somewhere in the yeah. show notes or you can put it in my Instagram, but um I'm so excited for it to be here. And next year I will be kind of doing the book with people on Instagram. Very I'm still cool. planning. I think it'll be like an IGTV series. Probably every Monday I'll show up and talk about the mantra for the week. But um, there are a lot of ways to interact because I think, as you know from the practice groups, like yeah. we also don't change our value systems on our own. We need yeah. community for that. And we need to be supported in asking questions and having shifts and um being in contradiction sometimes because we always are yeah and that that takes uh takes support takes other people too yeah and I love I mean I I was saying to you earlier I I absolutely love writing and journaling I think that is such a great way for me to process a -hmm. lot of what's going on and um when I have been going through the book on my own it's been it's been great to be able to like start at a place that feels like, you know, I started in the summer section of the seasons and Mm -hmm. I love in the book, you always mention, you know, go at your own pace, do what feels good, skip something that doesn't feel right. And I, I just love learning from you because I feel like you really open it up to let everyone get what they need from it and introduce these topics that are some, not always, you know, right in your face if, if you're not seeking them out. And I think that has been amazing the last couple months to just learn these different perspectives and and you're so right it takes time though to like fully Mm -hmm. integrate them and fully understand what that means to you and your experiences and I can't wait to see more um of the community aspect of it on on Instagram this year and just have more people get it I would definitely recommend it I especially if you like workbooks and journaling um I love that you mentioned Alex L is actually under your publisher too. I have one of her self-care yeah. <laughs> workbooks and just that if, if you're into that stuff, you will love this. So definitely recommend oh, it. That's such a, thank you. That's yeah. such a sweet, sweet little testimonial. I really, <laughs> I really appreciate it. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it's a journey and I know a lot of people are drawn to the fact that the book has feminists in the name and some people are, uh, turned off by that. Yeah. 
but I really see this book as part of developing like a personal feminist practice. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that is the entirety of it. Like our feminism can't just be about like our relationship with ourselves, but I also, I'm not sure I've even really mentioned this, but um, my podcast, 50 Feminist States is then where I interview feminist activists and artists all over the U S. So that's, if you're hearing feminism and you want the more political side of it and you want to hear a lot more about my like um, yeah. issues-based politics, they're <laughs> all over there. That's definitely a part of the project. But if you want to experience feminism in a way that is really like just trying to open the world to you and to, I mean, to me, feminism was one of the first places I ever felt seen and held, mm-hmm. like reading those texts and meeting other organizers and and that's how I wanted the book to feel I wanted it to feel like a space that you go to get to know yourself a little better and to realize that maybe some of the reasons you don't like certain things about yourself or don't fit into the world yeah they're not on you the world was set up to make you feel that way and you know that was also the the selfies group (laughs) like it all it all circles back right like yeah we all did that work together in the selfies group and I was running three at the same time. So I can't quite remember what your group was in, but something that really amazed me with those groups is just, there were so many different people in them. We had like different genders, different sizes, different races, different abilities. Yeah. Um, just so much difference that was really held by this like shared dream of caring for ourselves that's that's what happened in the selfies group that's what I want to happen with 50 feminist mantras that's like really what I'm trying to create in all of my work and I'm so glad you're a part of it and I'm so glad to be a part of your podcast where you do that too yes I'm so excited it's been it's been great to to meet you and to have the opportunity to just be connected with different people who yeah I think that 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 premise of everything just being centered in care and um, I, I was reading, you know, the bodies on an apology this summer mm-hmm. and just, just that notion that I love Sonia Renee Taylor, just going through of like, what would it mean for us to live in a world where like, we all celebrated all of our difference rather than yeah. this program to fear it and to be just trying to assimilate, like, what would it be like if we could all, we could all, I like get chills thinking about it. Cause it's, it's yeah. like, that is what that's the dream. I think that is accept that is that radical acceptance and self-love of everyone. And and if you have that for yourself, it's so much easier to accept that in other people. And so mm-hmm. it's so important. I think it's great to have all these resources to support us and and yeah, just thanks again for for sharing everything and of course and being part of it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for having me. This is I feel like we could I could talk to you for like two hours. I know. <laughs> probably no one wants to listen to that. Um or if they do, they can just like, I don't know, come find us on Instagram. Right, exactly. <laughs>